Hey, we're on page 181, and that's right, the final topic is the role of the child. Please contain your excitement. That's right, the role of the child. And what we saw is, what, me, a sinner? I, I, I'm only a child, okay? Uh, our kids uh, born straight out of the gates, just absolutely awesome, wonderful, and they always do everything right. They are not born with a clean, good slate. That's the problem we saw. That's what society says, right? Okay, the Bible says, to the contrary, the exact opposite. No, as David said, Psalm 51, Surely I was born a sinner, okay? We're all inherited that rebellious nature, okay? And it's easy to prove if you think that you're perfect and you're going to get to heaven on your own, that you're going to be just like God uh, and you deserve to go to heaven who is holy, holy, holy. That equates to 100% without sin, which means you've never once, ever once, ever once did anything wrong. That's why the Bible says all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We can't live up to that. And that starts at birth. Okay. As we saw, it's very easy. Kids aren't taught to uh, say no. Okay. And, and uh, mine. You know, those things are inherent. Where'd that come from? Well, the Bible says that each one of us, because of what Adam and Eve did, they rebelled against God. What Adam and Eve did is uh, they were inherited this rebellious nature. Okay. Now, the, the reason why we had to bring that up is because society says the opposite. Society says that kids are good. And so when it comes to raising children, they say, just leave them alone. Don't discipline them. When what we saw is the issue, kids don't have a problem disobeying, right? That comes naturally because of the sin nature, right? And so if you don't understand that, then you're going to miss the solution. And what we're called to do as parents, as parents, they naturally disobey. And we remember that, right? I mean, everybody here, except for Tom, uh, was just, we got in trouble, right, growing up? Anybody can, want to confess? All right, the rest of your line, so you just blew it again. Okay, uh, disobeying uh, is rather what we have to do is kids have to be, they, they fall asleep at night, and what we do is we tear out pages of the Bible, we put it under their pillow, and they magically, it leaches into the brain when they wake up the next day. We don't have to do nothing. No, 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 it takes some effort, it takes some time. We have to be, they have to be taught to obey. Okay, because of the sin nature. Society says the exact opposite. Leave them alone. They'll turn out just fine. Don't interfere with them. You have, they have to be taught, okay, is what we saw, okay? And one of the things that we saw last time when it comes to uh, children, family, godly families, doing family, life, God's way, be a biblical man, be a biblical woman, a husband, wife, father, mother, etc., and parent, is we saw the first thing that children need to be taught, this doesn't come naturally, okay, is they need to be taught to obey their parents. Anybody can verify that? Say amen. Okay, yeah. Joe, you're pretty quick there. I like that, yeah. Yeah, here we go. So, but that's right. Obey your parents. That's on page 182. And we saw that that's the issue with obeying the parents. Listen, is certainly the first part of that aspect of that command is they need to be listening. That's a challenge today, isn't it? Okay, and, but it's not just listening. They need to heed. They need to obey uh, what you say, okay, is the aspect. And we saw that the Bible has some very strong commands when children don't do that uh, command. Uh, in the Old Testament, anybody glad? Again, we're not under the Old Covenant. We were here last week. You know, you get stoned to death. Whoa, praise, man, we'd all be dead, wouldn't we? Uh, myself included, uh, if that were the case. And the reason why is because this is at the heart, not just of a family, but if you raise a rebellious child and you don't intervene and you don't turn them around, they don't stop when they get out of your house, do they? And so God takes it very serious because, listen, if you will, family, translated to this, guys, family, our family house, our home, our little family, our unit, where we live, that's a miniature society. And you're running a little experiment. 
And in your little household, your miniature society, you are preparing them for the real society outside your house. And so it's a little experiment. You're, 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 you're there to nurture your kid to be uh, honorable, as we're going to see again tonight, to be obey, uh, to be respectful, because if they can get that in your miniature society, your household, your family, then odds are they're going to do that when they get out into the real world. Okay, and that's why God's got some serious commands for that because they need to be trained. They need to be disciplined. You got to take this serious, man, because if you don't nip it in the bud and if you don't train them in that course, you get out of the house and you're not just uh, allowed for a rebel to be created in your home. You added another rebel in a rebellious society, right? And we all say, hey, we want to make a difference. We want to turn the generation around, turn the country around, do all this stuff, right? Starts in the home, doesn't it? One person, one child at a time. We need to be raising godly kids at the top of page 184 we left off there it says as we've seen children come into the world with a sin nature and again what's that that's a christianese phrase what is that that's that part of us that wants to do our things our way the me myself and i unholy trinity that rebellious part of us no you know stuff like that the sin nature and a natural bent towards evil they are totally self-centered individuals what are jenna do you ever experience any of that in school teaching right just a little, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, help me. It was like, it was a help me smile. Help me. Okay, a lot, okay. And uh, uh, that's what happens. Now, the question I want to ask, explore a little bit before we continue on is, well, why? Why is it so bad uh, today? Right? Remember, if you remember on the final countdown, I know you guys got all my sermons memorized, right? Hey, preachers can dream. Okay, and, uh, but on that one study, we dealt with the rise of wickedness. We saw that, remember what it was like just back in the, the 50s? Like the number one problem in schools back in the 50s was chewing gum. Those rebels. And they wouldn't throw paper in the waste paper basket. And they cut in line. But what do we have today? They're killing each other. They're killing adults. Kids. Right? Why? How did it get so bad so fast? Not raise them right. How is society telling uh, our kids to, to be raised? What, what, what's, the, what's the mandate to the kids growing up today? Leave them alone. So they have just uh, give them space. Don't intervene. And that you can't have discipline. Okay. And then what is it that they tell them that actually feeds to this rebellious nature? It's all about you. It's you, man. Right? In fact, so much about you, you need to love you. You need to respect not your parents or authorities. You need to respect you. You need to not do what the Bible says and esteem others higher than yourself. You need to esteem yourself, highest of all. So you slap all that together in just a couple generations, and this is all they're getting in the secular educational system. This is all they're getting in the media, is it's all about you, 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 and just give them space. Don't ever intervene. Don't discipline them. Don't do none of that stuff. And by the way, put gasoline on the flame and say, hey, you need to respect and do whatever you want at all costs. And are we really shocked at what we have today? Hey, junk in equals junk out. Right? Now, what scares me, we talked about this before, what really scares me, is, is gut-wrenching to me, is how this stuff has even crept into the church. The secular pop psychology that is anti-biblical is coming into the church. And Christians, we should know better. We can't promote this stuff. This is crazy. I shared this before, I've got to share it again. One guy says this, and it's on that issue of uh, you know, the, anti, the, the panacea to fix all these rebels. Jenna, pay attention. Okay, if you want to fix that classroom. All right, what they say is you need to just uh, boost up their self-esteem, and that's going to fix everything. All right? Put it to the test. Uh, society is at an all-time moral low, 
But statistics show that Americans are feeling better about themselves more than ever. In a survey conducted in 1940, back when kids were pretty well disciplined, 11% of women and 20% of men agreed with the statement, I am an important person. Okay? Now, uh, jump uh, up to today, those figures jumped up 66%. Uh, of women, 62% of men, 90% of people surveyed in a recent Gallup poll say their own sense of self-esteem is robust and healthy. Incredibly, while the moral fabric of society continues to unravel, self-esteem is thriving. All the positive thinking about ourselves seems not to be doing anything to alleviate the culture or motivate people to live better lives. Can it really be that low self-esteem is what is wrong with people today? Does anyone seriously believe that making people feel better about themselves has helped the problems of crime, moral decay, divorce, child abuse, juvenile delinquency, drug addiction, and all the other evils that have dragged society down? Could so much still be wrong in our culture if the assumptions of self-esteem will finally solve society's problem? And is there any shred of evidence that would support such a belief? None. And he says here, absolutely none. The notion that self-esteem makes people better, listen, is simply a matter of blind religious faith. Not only that, it is a, listen, it is a religion that is antithetical to Christianity. Listen, because what's the core issue that we're talking about children? They're born with a sin nature. They have a natural bent to disobey. Don't feed that. The way out of it is to teach them, discipline them, model them to be taught to obey. And he says this, it's antithetical to Christianity because it's predicted on the unbiblical preposition that people, even kids, are basically good and they just need to recognize their own goodness. And that's all we get. And you wonder why it's getting out of control. Well, that's put, put that in the kid's head and that's, the, that's what they're going to do. Let's continue on. They're totally self-centered individuals. No child grows up obedient if left alone. Obedience must be taught. But how long are children to be under the authority of the parents? Right? Apparently that's when you turn like 16, 17. And that's when all of a sudden all the wisdom of the universe, Ron, implants into their brains. And now they know more than you because that's when parents become dum-dums. Right? <laughs> okay. No, they're still at the house. It's the basic rule. He who makes the gold makes the golden rules. You under my house, you obey. And that's what he says here. So God's basic design is for children to be obedient to their parents. If your children are still living at home, whether they're in elementary, junior high, high school, or even college, they're still under responsibility to obey you. And listen, again, it's not just the kids got to just learn this by osmosis. Parents, we have to what? We have to invest time. We have to intervene. Can't just say, hey, read this article right? You got to intervene. It says it's your responsibility as parents to teach your children to be obedient. Why? Because children do not normally come into the world ready to obey. They arrive fully bent towards disobedience. You don't have to describe disobedience to them. They are disobedient because they inherited a sin nature just like yours and mine. And the only way they learn obedience is to be taught it. Okay. And now you keep that in mind. That's why Proverbs says, Uh, how our children react to our discipline tells us whether they're going to end up being a wise person or a fool. Right? Because God knows what's best for us. He knows how to deal and fix the sin nature issue. And it's called discipline. And he says this, the wisdom of a child who receives his father and mother's instructions is made clear in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs states that this about the child receiving or rejecting instruction. Listen, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. 
okay? But he who hates reproof is stupid. Says it right there. Now, that's not politically correct, but you know what? I like that word. It actually is in the Bible. And you know why? Because it stings, doesn't it? Can I tell you something? It's supposed to. When, when you get it, when, anybody ever get a spanking from dad? Okay. And we all chuckle that nervous chuckle, don't we? Right. Anybody ever do the, 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 uh, the spanking dance where you went around in circles trying to like that? And you still got it. In fact, if you ever counted it up, you got more because of that. Because he's trying to catch you. And you're getting half spankings, quarter spankings, and you still get the full spankings. Okay, but you got, anyway, that's what I learned. I'm too late, apparently. But so you're doing the spanky dance, right? <laughs> okay. And, uh, uh, but what he says here is, is we have to be uh, uh, taught. He says, you, you have to, if you hate this, it's stupid. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to sting. When dad was spanking you, it wasn't to make you giggle. <laughs> you know, like what's that uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy? You poke him in the gut. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know, that freaky commercial. Don't watch that late at night if you can't sleep. That'll freak you out. Okay, but you know, he, he, you know, okay. I, did anybody do that when your dad spanked you? Yeah, dad, do it again. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster ride. That's awesome. No, the spanker was intent to what? Ouch, right? And God uses words, guys. He's saying, listen, I love you, and this is the facts, okay? Don't be stupid. I, I'm disciplining you so you, we, can, we can fix this. I'm trying to help you. Okay, you're going to be wise. When, when your parents discipline you and you respond to that correctly, why? Because they're preparing you to get out of the mini society into the real society. Anybody want to, hey, you know what? That's my goal today. I want to see how many ways I can go out there and be stupid. <laughs> I just like that word. I know it's not politically correct, but I like it. Right? Now, that way we wouldn't say that, right? But that's what he's saying. Listen, when we, when we don't like discipline, when we hate it, don't touch me. You can't tell me what to do. You know, give me space. God says, you're going to turn out stupid. That's what he says right there. And a wise son, here's your first blank. Woo-hoo, we're cruising now. Accepts his father's discipline. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And again, a fool, your next blank there, rejects his father's discipline. But he who regards reproof is prudent. In other words, wise. So that's the first thing. Kids need to. They don't just come out of the womb and they're like, yes, mama, dad. You know, like in the military, yes, sir, how high, sir? You know, yes, what else, anything else, you know? They don't come out that way. They have to be taught to obey. The second thing they need to be taught is they need to be taught to honor, okay? They need to be taught to honor your father and mother. Open the Bibles to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Genesis, Exodus 20. And then take a look at the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, it's page 56 in my Bible. That'll help you guys. Uh, Ten Commandments there. Let's take a look there, Tom. And uh, right there in the middle there, it has stuff to do with the family. Very interesting, the family. All right, verse one, and God spoke all these words. Who's speaking this? God, okay. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, right? Now, why do you say something like that? Well, are you grateful for that? Do you appreciate that? Now you're out of that bondage, you're out of that slavery? All right, here's 10 things. You love me? Jesus said, keep my commands, right? Just 10 things, right? Has Jesus ever brought us out of any bondage, any slavery? He's rescued us from hell? And if he said anything, yes, sir, Captain, sir, because we have to earn our way to heaven. No, you can't, because we're grateful. God says the same thing here. He said, I brought you out of Egypt. Now, so therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. 
Second one, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Again, if you recall in the final countdown study, that commandment, the second commandment, you will not find in the Catholic church. But wait a second, you're supposed to have 10 commandments, so how do you get around that? What they do is they take the 10th commandment, split it up into two so you can still end up with 10. Well, why would they take out the second commandment, actually take it out, because what's the second commandment? No idolatry. What's the big thing in the Catholic church? Idolatry, figurine worship. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And so he says, you shall not have any idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, praise God, showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And now the name of Jesus Christ is turned into a cuss word. That's blasphemy. The scripture says, I'll remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath uh, uh, to the Lord your God. On it you shall uh, not do any work. Neither you nor your son, daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your animals, uh, nor the alien within your gates. For the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Number five, right? Smack dab in the middle. What's he talk about? The family. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Well, this one comes with a promise. So that you may live long in the land your Lord God is giving you. And then, of course, you shall not murder. Notice it said murder, not kill. Vegetarians, if you're not careful, they'll try to get you on this one. Well, the Bible says you shall not kill, and you killed that cow. And therefore, you've got to eat plants. And that's how they talk to you. If you notice that, because they haven't had any meat products and their throat is swelling up. And no, I don't know why I do that stuff, but it works great, doesn't it? That's right. No, uh, <laughs> no. But listen, you shall, no, the Bible doesn't say you shall not kill. It says you shall not murder. Big difference, okay? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That's called lying. And here's where the Catholic Church split this up. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Can I tell you what happens? Every time we turn on the television and in between the programs, we have these things called commercials. Every single commercial, listen to this. You never hear about this commandment, uh, right? By and large, what's coming? What's coming? Every commercial, if you pay attention, is geared to get you and I to break that commandment. Did you realize that? To covet. Don't be satisfied with what you got. You need to have this car. Or you need to have that, you're out to your neighbor and drive this car and impress those people with that house and these clothes. And that. every commercial, they're cashing in on sin. Isn't that wild? Okay. But that's what he says. You need to honor your mother and father. This is the second command uh, given in Paul's instruction to the child. It's taken from Exodus 20. We just read it. It's the fifth commandment um, uh, to the children of Israel. MacArthur writes this. Here Paul is drawing from the Old Testament where God gave his law uh, first. And the examining the Ten Commandments, we find they're uh, divided into two parts. The first four commandments deal with what? Our relationship with God, right? Okay, is what he says there. And he says, now the last six deal with what? Our relationship with others. Jesus kind of does the same thing when he was approached and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he splits it into two. He says, the first one, what? He basically summarizes the ten. He says, you love God, what? With all your heart. You know, if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, then you're not going to commit idolatry. You're certainly not going to use his name in vain, etc., etc., right? 
And he says, what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what these uh, back half are also talking about. The first four deal with a relationship to God and the other one deal with other people. And right there in the middle of it, he talks about our relationships uh, with the parents. Verse 12 is the uh, uh, second group of commands. And it's honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Notice that this is the only statement in the Ten Commandments relative to how the family specifically, not just individuals, but this one talks about the family and how it's supposed to function. Why? Because given the first four, it is sufficient in addition to produce right relationships in the home and in society. Again, listen, you get this mini society right and now you cut them loose in the real society. Is that a benefit or what? To the rest of the world. Right? So where a lot of people, it's, it's, as we're seeing, this is a, it's a, it's a, a two-bang punch. Listen, you can't just sit there and blame it on all the kids. You rebels, those rebels, those horrible rebels. Guess what? Where to get created? Go back to the mini society. Right? It's a, it's a two-way street, and that's what he's talking about here. Uh, it, it's to produce right relationships in the home and society. This is the key to everything. Since a person who grows up with a pattern of obedience and discipline in the home, mom and dad a sense of reverence and awe and respect for his parents will be a person who can make any human relationship work on any other level and his life will what? Flourish so that it may go well with you, right? So if you, by and large, I mean, they could still go south, but by and large, you're setting a pattern. And if, if you can get it by and large that your kids are gonna be honoring and obeying you in the mini society, typically they're gonna carry that attitude out in the real society. Since this command is so important, let's take a closer look at what it means to honor. Okay? Now, it's a Greek word, uh, tamao, he mentions there, uh, in the Greek there, tamao from uh, Tima. Uh, the previous command to obey dealt with what the child's response should be towards his parents. Okay? That's the child's response towards the parents. You need to obey them. This command deals with the child's attitude towards the parents. Okay? And we're going to get a little bit more into that attitude because it's going to... Moms and dads, you're going to like this one. It's going to spill over into this baby. So it's not just an attitude. It goes a little bit deeper than that. Okay, they need to take care of you. Uh, this Greek word has two shades of meaning. The word primarily means to count as valuable, to honor, to revere. Now, Jim, did you ever get that, uh, uh, that, that hat, that king hat thing? You got it? Okay, that's pretty close, I guess, right? But what was that? What was the butter commercial? All of a sudden, boop, boop, boop. And it would pop on the guy's head. Imperial margin, right? So now you got the visual, right? The, the king hat. The, the white and red fluffy looking. Right? Now, as moms and dads, if our kids, uh, when we come home or vice versa, whatever, that should be their attitude. The king of the house has come in. The queen is here. Right? That's honoring. That's respecting. That's revering. It sounds kind of corny, whatever. But that is to be their attitude. Whoa. This is mom and dad. Now, typically, when you start talking about honoring your parents, a lot of times, and I've dealt with this in counseling, uh, some kids said, yeah, but what about my parents or parents? And they, they abused me. And I didn't, you know, you know I, I shouldn't have to honor them. God blesses obedience. He doesn't condone what went on. But you're not responsible for somebody else's behavior. But you are, as a Christian, accountable for your behavior, uh, your reaction to their behavior. Okay. You're not responsible for their behavior, but you're responsible for your reaction to their behavior. And God blesses obedience. Okay, obedience, you, you do what God says to do. As we talk about husbands and wives, husbands, you're supposed to be that godly man, whether or not your wife, if you will, fulfills her role, right? And wives, same thing. You're supposed to be that godly woman, regardless. Now, I'm not condoning the disobedience, but 
It's individual. And it's the same thing with kids. You still honor your parents the best that you can. I didn't say that it was, oh, because they're so worthy of... I didn't say that, but God says for you growing up, you need to do that. And the best that you can. And God will bless that. Okay? Uh, and so let's continue on. That's the attitude. The Greek words, it's got two shades. Valuable, honor, to revere. But it also has the sense of money or payment. Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah, Bonnie's getting all choked up. That's okay. You'll make it. Just breathe. <gasps> breathe. I know. It's a touching last final study, isn't it? Life is complete now. Okay. It's, it's monetary. Okay. God's desire for the child is that he not only has right behavior, but would also have the right attitude in his heart. The child is to count as valuable, is your blank there, or to revere his parents. Now, such an attitude re- results in obedience to parents. Now, notice the pattern that's following here. If we revere and if we truly honor God as his children, is it really somebody got to twist us, our, our arm, or, you know, uh, uh, force us into obeying God? No, because we have the right attitude. We honor him. We love him. We revere him. And so it's more natural for us to, yeah, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And when children have this same right attitude and truly honor their parents and revere them, then is it really that hard for them to obey. So it's kind of a double-edged sword here, okay? Not just obey, not just honor. Honor and obey, it works out great. I got in my notes, rebellion is honoring self above others. Rebellion is honoring self above others. And certainly authority. And certainly the authority in the home, uh, moms and dads, okay? Jesus brought out another aspect, this honor. This is where we're gonna get into the monetary aspect in case you're kind of wondering what in the world's going on there. Uh, in one of his discussions with the Pharisees, in Matthew 15, Jesus points out that the scribes and the Pharisees were violating the command to honor their father and their mother. And they did this in a very clever way. Jesus showed them that they had nullified this commandment. So let's read that. Open your Bibles to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Let's take a look at one of the little slick things they were doing. Okay. And specifically with parents. And this is where we're going to get into the issue. It's not, just, it's not just attitude. It's not just do what they say. Okay. And again, the word that we're going to see is you need to care for your parents, which sometimes is going to cost you monetarily. But these guys found a convenient religious shortcut. Right? And Jesus called them on the carpet. Let's take a look at that. This is kind of cool. Matthew 15. Uh, Jesus, uh, he says this to the Pharisees. Okay. How many of you guys realize that the Pharisees... Uh, we're not in uh, Jesus' good buddy club. Okay, yeah, these are not examples, okay? Uh, he says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? <gasps> they don't wash their hands before they eat. Oh, uh, uh. Hey, what's a goofy tradition that we Christians come up with that has nothing to do? <gasps> but if somebody did it, they're the devil. You're scared to mention anything, are you? <laughs> well, we, actually, that's a pretty good. We actually did that before. If they wore the hat, the devil's on their head. Get it all right. And we saw the context that's taken out of context. If you notice, in various stages of church history, I remember back in the day. Actually, this is believe it or not, this is kind of weird. There were some people back in New York, even in modern times, that if you played a game of cards. You were way beyond backsliding. You actually built a camp on the edge of hell itself. Whoa, what? I, I'm not gambling. There's no cash being involved. 
Really? Since when did Canasta come from the Antichrist? I don't, where's that at in here? Well, no. And we all know that if you all go bowling, that that bowling ball is black on a purpose. And that represents oblivion from hell and the abyss. And as you roll that down, you're rolling your soul along with it. Because bowling's of the devil. Hey, I kid you not. Wasn't that long ago? That was. Don't you dare. Right? Oh, dancing's another one. Once in a while, this will still come up. Uh, especially during marriage ceremony. Well, you know, I, I can't dance with... Really? Now, if you're sitting there getting all lewd and stuff, obviously nobody's commanding that. But excuse me, I dance with your dad? Please do. You know, give me a break, right? I say, but this is what these guys did. They, and they came on the scene basically saying this to Jesus. <gasps> you played canasta. I saw you guys. She said, oh yeah? You want to bring that up? He says this. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your what? Father and mother. And anybody who curses his father and mother must be what? Put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, well, uh, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me, is a, uh, it's now a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. He said, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your what? Tradition. You, best guys, you. Oh, I'm sorry, hypocrites. Uh, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, man. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Uh, their teachings are only rules taught by men. Bunch of baloney that they themselves brought up and they're thinking they're looking religious. And Jesus sees the inside of the heart. That's what he says. They could simply affirm that a particular item had been a gift devoted to God. Then, listen, the item could uh, not be used by an individual but was to be kept separate. This was simply a clever way of keeping things from passing on to one's parents. You know, mom and dad really could use a new refrigerator and we've got 14 at the house. And I really should take care of them as their son. But you know what, Bill? I'm going to devote this refrigerator to God in my garage. I'm only going to use this refrigerator for God's purposes in my garage. Am I spiritual or what? Because that's what they were doing, man. And Jesus, listen to this. He says, the person would, of course, continue to keep those things in his home where they had been supposedly set aside for God. Such action was condemned by Jesus as hypocritical for while it appeared to be spiritual, it actually was done to keep one's possessions for himself. Thus, the failure to help one's parents deliberately violated the fifth commandment for the Decalogue. Okay, the Ten Commandments. Okay, Jesus indicates that honoring one's parents carries with it a financial commitment. Is your blank there? Financial commitment uh, to care for them also. As was mentioned above, the word tamao often carries with it the meaning of monetary help. Uh, the Old Testament law of honoring one's parents meant that so long as a person lived, he was to respect and support his parents. Underline that. Respect and what? Support his parents. Let's face it. During the first half of our lives, our parents give everything they have to supply their children's needs. The other side of the coin is that when they are no longer able to meet their own needs, it becomes whose responsibility? Society. No, the children's responsibility to take care of them. Do you see the overlapping of the generations? God worked it out, guys, so it never ends. That somebody's always taking care of somebody. And you don't always have to chuck it on society. That's God's way, being responsible. Okay, we, man, that's a whole nother can of worms. It's God's way of producing families that stick together and pass along the inheritance of an unselfish love. Almost there, let's continue on. 
The responsibility of an adult to financially, or a child, to financially care for his parents is also brought out. Paul talks about this when he deals with widows uh, in Timothy, okay? In uh, 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 chapter 5, verse 4, he says, But if any widow has what? Children or grandchildren. He appeals back to the family. He says, let them first learn the children or the grandchildren, right? So here you have a widow, and she's unable to make it herself, and says, okay, the church has got to take care of them. No. I mean, church may have to, but what's the first step you biblically go back to to meet their needs? Go back to the kids. You might even have to go back a second time. Go to the grandchildren. Children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family to make some return to their parents. For this is what? Acceptable in the sight of God. Paul explains later that widows are only to be put on the benevolence list if they're widows in deeds. In other words, if they don't have children or grandchildren that could take care of them. That's the only time. And, and again, it's just, that's the biblical mandate. If they have children or grandchildren, they are to practice piety to make some return for the parents because that's acceptable in God. In fact, Paul has strong words, listen, for the child that does not provide for his parents. Jesus calls these Pharisees, you hypocrites. Absolute hypocrites. And Paul uses these words for those who do not provide for their parents. He writes, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, mom and dad, listen, and you sit there and say you're a Christian, he says, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Because even non-Christians sometimes will do that. They know that you need to take care of your family. Right? And he says, come on, you're a Christian. And you won't take care of your own family? Your mom or dad? Right? And that's what he's talking about. I, uh, real quickly, I, this is a, it's a, it's a touchy subject uh, in my family. I'm going to give you two grandma scenarios. And these were both my grandmothers. Okay, so fully aware that if my family ever watches this, they might... Now, be pleased with this video. But this is, by way of example, uh, something that I experienced uh, as a, um, early on in my own family. And I saw two examples. You guys heard stories about my grandmothers in my, uh, growing up in the Midwest, out in the middle of nowhere. You know, my one grandmother uh, in the Midwest, the daily routine, my dad was about five. They'd walk across the, the, the field there, and, and uh, she'd be uh, uh, milking a cow with one hand, and she'd be, she'd be eyeballing with the other, uh, and had a rock in her hand. And she would literally, uh, as rabbits came up, she'd, throw a rock at it and kill the rabbit, and that's what they would eat that night. She said, that's, that's uh, my dad's words, she had a good arm. <laughs> and that's how they provided, man. Milking a cow, killing rabbits with a rock. You know, that's, that's how she grew up, right? And, I, and man, hard-working man, that's, that's all in my blood in Kansas, man. That's what you do back in Kansas. My other grandmother tell you the stories. Uh, my mom's side of the family, same kind of scenario, uh, probably even worse, uh, is uh, uh, she grew up, and uh, you know, I told you the story recently of how she gave birth to one of her children all alone, nobody was around. She had to cut the cord, had to clean herself up, clean the baby up. And then, then she had to uh, get the food on the stove and get it all cooked and, and the baby taken care of before the men got back in the field. She, that was a, a typical day. Okay, another time um, she had uh, twice in one life, twice in her life, uh, uh, her, uh, her house, their house burnt down, her and my grandfather, twice. And twice, it didn't just their house burnt down, everything in it left with nothing but the shirt on their back, not once but twice in the same life. I still don't know. And then one time during the Depression, she said that her, uh, her family, they had moved, uh, uh, they lost everything, obviously, and so they all moved into a cook shack. You know what a cook shack is? It's the old chuck wagon. 
You know, the old check. Yeah, it was Western. Just chuck one. The, the guy that would come out there and he the, had the plates on the side, whatever. He he'd be the cook for the guys, the cowboys. Well, they called them chuck wagons apparently back then, and uh, that's what they would haul out into the fields to cook them in, so they can keep on working. Is because it's harvest time, right? Got to bring in the harvest. And so, her family lived in that thing. The whole family with kids lived in a cook shack. I'm not making this up with a straight face. My grandma, I would say, well, grandma. I said, well, that's pretty rough. I said, well, how long, how long did your family live in the cook shack? Straight face, man, no cracking smile, just a matter of fact. She said, oh, until the tornado blew it away. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I mean, that's my grandma's. And, 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 and uh, it just, and, and so, I mean, they worked their tail off, sacrificed themselves for their families, whatever. And I bring that up because both of them had two endings. Uh, my, 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 the grandma with the tornado I, I had the privilege of leading her to Christ just literally days before she died. And that, that was cool. And I uh, got to do both of their funerals. Uh, my other grandma, uh, when she uh, died, the one with the, the killing the rabbits, okay, and uh, my dad saw that she was um, beginning to not be able to take care of herself. And so my dad did what the scripture says, and out of his own pocket, he began, before it got to that point, built a complete addition by hand on his house, a place for my grandmother to spend the rest of her life. And that's where she spent the last probably nine years of her life, being taken care of, my dad, full expense, and my grandmother got to die eating Mexican food, our favorite food, at a restaurant, had a massive, she was eating Mexican food, had a massive heart attack, boom, went to go be with Jesus. But always surrounded by family, that's how she got to go. My other grandmother, the tornado cook shack one, other family, not Christians. And for the last seven years of her life, she rotted away in a nursing home. And all her kids were pretty well off. Could have probably paid somebody to build something. And the last of her life was sent and she was dealing constantly with bed sores and stuff and it was a bad way to go. And she had her mind all the way there. Here's a test. Which family think you uh, did it the biblical way? Yeah, I got to see both sides, guys. I'll tell you what, God's not pleased how my one grandmother's treated. You need to honor your parents. It's not just your attitude. When the time comes, you need to take care of them. They bust their back for you. Okay, and this is what he says. He says here as we finish up, there's a promise with that. You do that. There, there is a payoff. Okay, as we close, look again at Paul's uh, command, Ephesians 6.23, tells you to honor your mothers and fathers. It says, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Uh, Paul points out that this first commandment of the Ten Commandments, uh, which is a promise, is specifically tied. What does this mean to uh, the child that honors his father and mother? The promise is twofold. It speaks of the quality, is your blank there, of a child's life, that it may go well with you, and the quantity, quantity, of the child's life, that you may live long on the earth. This is the general rule which must be viewed as all of scripture in the context of God's sovereignty. MacArthur writes this, when children are obedient, when they honor their parents, they will have a full and rich life here on earth and live with God in his kingdom and for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And so in every way, the promise gets fulfilled. Listen, the bottom line is that those children who honor their parents through their lives, even by caring for their parents in old age, will be honored by God in the quality and the longevity of their lives. You know why? 
I think part of that is because monkey see, monkey do. We're going to close with this. We're setting a pattern for guess whose kids? Ours. Listen to this story. This is wild. There was once this old man whose hands trembled when he ate. And because of this, he clattered the silverware. And he missed his mouth with the spoon and he dribbled his food on the tablecloth. He lived with his, uh, uh, his son who was married. Uh, he had nowhere else to live. But his son's wife did not like the arrangement. Uh, so one day she said, I can't have this. It interferes with my right to happiness. And uh, so she uh, and her husband took the old man gently but firmly by the arm, led him to the corner of the kitchen. Uh, there they set him on a stool and gave him his food in this earthenware bowl. And from then on, he always had to eat in the corner. But one day, his hands trembled more than usual, and the earthenware bowl fell and broke. So the daughter-in-law barked, if you're going to act like a pig, then you need to eat out of a trough. So they actually made the old man a little wooden trough, and from then on, he got his meals in that. Get this. Well, these people had a four-year-old son. Four-year-old son. Very fond of him. And one evening, the young man was noticing that his boy was playing intently with some bits of wood, and he asked me what he was doing. And so the boy, smiling up for approval from his father, he says, I'm making a trough to feed you and mama when I get big. Yeah. Well, at this, the man and his wife looked at each other, and for a moment there was dead silence. But then the tears began to flow as they went to the corner, took the old man by the arm, and led him back to the table. And from then on, they sat him in a comfortable chair, gave him his food on a plate, and never once scolded him when he clattered or spilled or broke a single thing. How many guys heard this same? You better be nice to your kids because they're the ones picking out your nursing home. Now, can I clarify that biblically? You better be nice to your uh, parents because your kids are watching. Okay, and maybe they will chuck you in a nursing home instead of taking you in their home like maybe God wants them to do. How we treat our parents now is setting that pattern for our kids. My brother's already taken care of my mom and he purposely bought a piece of property to have a place built for my mom uh, and have her own place, but it's right there in the property. She needs anything, right there's distance. She's got her own space, but he's got that covered. And uh, Brandy's, both Brandy's parents were, in, and part of the reason why we got the house we did with an extra bedroom and its uh, own deals because they're getting up there. And uh, if God will give us that ability, we're planning on taking care of them. Why? Because you know what the, her, even her parents did as non-Christians? Took care of two sets of parents with Alzheimer's and full-blown dementia and all that goes along with it. They sacrificed their retirement years. They just bought this huge, massive uh, motorhome thing, massive thing, to go retire. And right after they got it, the first parent came down with Alzheimer's. Right? So what do they model? I mean, we do it anyways, Christians, but they've set that example. They, and that's why Paul says, listen, you can't even, you sit here and say you're a Christian, you can't even take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Even unbelievers get that. And as Christians, if we're going to be that godly family and a godly husband, and a godly wife, then we need to honor that example all the way to the end, flip it around, not just take care of your kids. You might have to take care of your parents. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. 
If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court 
the gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.